Welcome to Season 2 Women in STEM Podcast. I am your host, Kelly, and expect from this season amazing guest host speakers from around the world and information that will help enrich your life and knowledge about women in STEM. Hello, welcome to the Women in STEM Podcast. And today we're going to be having quite an interesting conversation, and it's going to be highlighting the importance of women in STEM through fiction. So here with me today, I have a special guest. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. And hello, everybody in podcast land. My name is Melanie Ho. I'm the author of a book called Beyond Leaning In. I'm also an independent leadership consultant, speaker, and workshop facilitator working in issues like change management, executive leadership, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Nice. So like you just said a whole bunch right there. I know quite a few of the listeners might be overwhelmed. Can you please like break down your career path so far so we can see how it all came together? Yes. Um, So I think like many folks, my career path has taken a lot of fun and unexpected directions. I started out my career teaching literature at UCLA while earning my PhD in English. I studied early 20th century American fiction, taught freshmen how to think about novels and poetry and short stories. I loved doing that. But during my time getting a PhD, I actually became more interested in higher education as a business, the management of it, the administration of it, the policy of it. I ended up after that joining a healthcare and higher education consulting technology and research firm that just created all kinds of services and products to serve hospitals, health systems, colleges, and universities. Ended up staying at that firm for 12 years, climbing the corporate ranks. And as I did that, I found that as I was working both within my own company, with our own very corporate business environment, we were on the NASDAQ for a while and then owned by private equity. And so I kind of got a lot of a sense of the behind the scenes of the corporate world as I rose the corporate ladder, I eventually became a senior vice president. And I was also working with our clients. I specialized in higher education. So I was working with a lot of college and university leaders. And what was interesting to me was I could be working with leaders at my company or leaders at one of our clients, could be a small college, could be a large college, could be a college focused on research, could be one focused on teaching, different disciplines, didn't matter. Leaders in all kinds of environments were really struggling with how to make big change. And that could be strategic changes or it could be big cultural changes, but everyone felt really stuck and kind of didn't know how to talk about it. And so I actually ended up going back to my roots as the literature PhD. And I started to just investigate all of the different ways that the arts, literature, film, um, theater, comics could help people think differently about their environment and help think differently about difficult issues such as diversity. And so as part of my new mission, I ended up leaving that corporate job in the pandemic, started my own firm. And as part of my new mission, I've been using fiction and comics to talk about diversity at work. My book, Beyond Leading In, tells the story of a tech company where the CEO is a woman who has smashed a lot of glass ceilings, and she's trying to understand why female leaders are departing at higher rates than the men and why women are less engaged on engagement surveys. 
And so it's kind of a mystery story where we go back and forth between the perspectives of seven different characters at this tech startup, men, women, um, all different layers of the organizational chart. And we see the challenges they face. And so my hope there is that fiction is a way to engage people in these difficult issues. Wow, that sounds very interesting. And, you know, with my podcast, we have international speakers from around the world. So I wanted to know if you could probably like clarify and kind of tell us a bit more a bit of what DEI stands for and what it means. So DEI is the acronym for diversity, equity and inclusion. And how many organizations are thinking about any kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion, whether it relate to gender or race or sexuality or disability. And the term DEI is an important one because it reflects changing in the field about how we think about diversity. 20 years ago, a lot of companies and other organizations just focus on the word diversity. And by diversity, they meant representation. Do we have women at a certain company, uh, at a certain level? Do we have people of color? And with time, there was a change in the field where there was a realization that diversity was only the first step because you could have a more diverse workforce or a more diverse leadership team. But if everybody isn't treated equitably or isn't feeling included uh, or there's not belonging or there's not justice, then the numbers are really just masking bigger problems. And so that's why a lot of folks in the field use DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion to talk about these issues. Some people actually add a J at the end, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, or a B at the end, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Oh, wow. I had not heard of those acronyms before. But with regards to like your experience, and obviously uh, this podcast is aimed at helping women. And we wanted, I wanted to know about like your experience with male allyship. Has that been something that you've been able to, um, has that helped you? And what's your experience been so far with regards to that? I think male allyship is so important to talk about because at so many companies, they create these women in leadership initiatives, but the initiatives are just women talking to one another. And really, we can't get further without the men. And so I definitely love to engage male allies in my work in a lot of different ways. Uh, often I'll have men who read my book, uh, sometimes read their my book together. I had a group of all men over the age of 70 who read my book in a book club and talked about it. And so I think it's just helpful to start involving men in the conversation. And they realize, usually they have a very, even people, men who care a lot have a very defined view of what allyship looks like. And it's usually very narrow. And so I try to help men expand that and understand there are multiple and many ways they need to be allies. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, if there are some male listeners who are listening, what advice would you give them on how they can be effective in, in male allyship? Yeah, so if there are male listeners here or uh, women who have men in their lives asking them how they can be better allies, I think the first step is just understanding. And I'll tell some other ones next, but I always begin with understanding because I think many men I talk to who want to be good allies think they understand the problem, but they only understand one part of it. Often I'll hear from a man, oh, I understand the problem that women face at work. My daughter or my sister or my wife or my girlfriend told me that it's X. 
And then they just name one problem that they've heard of, and they think that that's the only problem. Um, so my first advice for men is that there's actually, uh, it's, it's pretty complex. There's a lot of different issues. Talk to more than one person and try to get into the research, try to understand some of the broader issues. Um, after that, I usually begin my conversations with male allies by talking about a um, phrase I call points versus assists. And this is from the game of basketball. I'm not a big sports fan, but I find sometimes sports analogies um, help, especially not to be stereotypical, but especially with men in particular. I, I used to watch basketball games with my dad when I was younger. And he would always say to me, uh, he'd actually show me the newspaper and how they had the stats on the players. And he'd say, there are points. And that's obvious, you know, they, they throw the ball in the basket. And that... Most people only look at the points, but actually, if you look at the stats for the players, there's also assists. Did someone throw the ball to somebody who then made the score, who made the point? Mm -hmm. And that assists are really important. No one can score points usually without assists. The team can't win without the assists, but that as a culture, there's so much emphasis on points. I, I think this really represents how men and women are often socialized differently that men are often socialized to care about the point. So let's say in a meeting at your workplace, that means saying something like, oh, I thought this is a great idea, really pushing your, your point of view. Women, on the other hand, are often more socialized to care about the assists. In a meeting, that might be something like amplifying your colleague's voice if someone has a good idea, whether no matter their gender. Um, it could mean calling out that someone hasn't spoken yet. It's a little bit more focused on advancing the collective aims of the group rather than any individual. For a lot of men who have been kind of programmed and valued for their points, even just starting to think about assists and how they participate in the meetings, for example, I think is one step towards allyship. Another is participating in bystander intervention trainings. A lot of organizations have unconscious bias training, and I have talked to a lot of male allies who say, okay, well, I notice something gendered that happened. I noticed my colleague who's female, her idea wasn't really paid attention to in that meeting. What should I have done? And noticing is the first step. That's great. Commiserating afterwards, that's great. That's the first step. The next step is understanding what techniques that you can use in the moment. And there are a lot of organizations that have bystander intervention trainings that I won't go deep into, but that can help you figure out, okay, in the moment, uh, how do you actually call attention to a bias in a way that helps everyone listen and, and not get too defensive? Or what can you do afterwards to correct it if you saw something biased happening? Uh, so that's another thing. Uh, third thing I often talk to men about is simply volunteering to take on a lot of the tasks that women often do to a disproportionate extent. So for example, at many organizations, women are the ones who are always taking the notes at the meetings, planning the events, planning the social gatherings, remembering birthdays. They do these things sometimes because they're asked to, sometimes because they just see that there's a void and a need and they volunteer for it, but no one else, the men often don't even realize that's going on. And so a lot of great male allies that I know tell me that anytime there's an event planning committee or a task force or something that usually it's mostly women who volunteer for, they make sure that they're the first person to volunteer. Mm -hmm. 
that's a great response. I definitely think that those are some great advice points and tips to take away from that. And with regards to like leadership, you said that you've had some experience um, with that. And what advice would you give to women who want to pursue a role in leadership? I, I know that tends to be quite popular, especially um, like in the workplace, everyone wants to become a manager, you know, people yeah. want to climb up the ladder. But for those who are interested and want to look into that, what advice would you have for women pursuing leadership? My first piece of advice is probably that there's no one size fits all approach to leadership. And so to understand both their own strengths and interests, as well as what organizations require. I've managed teams of four people. I've managed teams of over a hundred people. Those require different skills, different ways of thinking about being a leader. I've been a volunteer leader, which is actually different from the experience of being the manager, the person who's in charge of someone's performance evaluation. I've been a leader in environments that were small growth and more startup-like and in environments that are more established. And that actually requires a different skill. Even with the same exact organization and the same exact team, timing matters. The kinds of leadership demands we have right now in the, I don't know what phase we're in of the pandemic, but just given all the uncertainty and change in the world, that requires a different set of leadership skills. And so I think just going in and getting a sense of, well, what kind of leader do I want to be? What strengths do I bring? What most gets me excited? But also for an organization that you're in or one that you're considering, what are the strengths and the needs for leadership at this moment in time? Wow. Yes, that is definitely some great tips there. And what specifically with tech, I know your book is based on tech and obviously uh, we love tech around here. Um, but what have been like common mistakes that you have seen women, particularly in STEM, make with regards to their career? I think one of the hardest things for women in STEM in particular is that there are more occasions where they're the only woman in the room or where they're only a few women on a team or in the room. And what makes that hard compared to other settings is that often when women experience any kind of bias, they don't actually know if it's them oh, or if it's bias. Mm -hmm. What I usually say is that if you think it's bias, <laughs> most of the time it often is, but what happens is that the more women internalize biases they face because they don't realize it's bias and they start to question themselves, that's where imposter syndrome can set in. I, I know you had a great episode on that. That's where people start to lose confidence because someone just did something to them, maybe treated them differently from how they treat a male colleague. And if you're in an environment with a lot of women, you're actually comparing notes constantly with those other women. Um, and not always, but in some of the best environments I've talked to, women who feel most supported, even though they're experiencing bias, they're doing so in a setting where there are other women they can trade notes with. And when they're trading notes, they realize it's systemic, it's cultural, it's not about you. For women in STEM, often in organizations where they don't have that peer network of other women, they're more likely to think it's their own fault because they don't have that framework of how common these biases are, what the most frequent ones are that women face. And so my advice for women in STEM is that kind of knowledge is power. 
talk to other women in your organization, in your industry, find resources like the Women in STEM podcast and others where they can start to see, okay, it's it's not just you. There's a larger system and culture that we can be a part of changing. Yeah, I definitely feel like being a part of a community has changed um, my confidence, my perspective, mm-hmm. the workplace, and it's definitely enhanced my experience and I think that it's very important for for women and let's talk about your book um beyond leaning in um what like inspired you to write this book and why now I started writing this book back in I can't remember 2012 2013 and it was actually when Sheryl Sandberg first published her book lean in uh it was, it, it was an interesting moment. Sheryl Sandberg in 2012 had published a really famous at the time TED Talk. Mm-hmm. And it was about how women needed to be more confident, take our seats at the table. I'm sure a lot of your listeners and viewers have seen it. It's, it circulates a lot. I actually love that TED Talk. I had a bunch of friends who would, we would share it with each other. We would listen to it before we were at, about to ask for a promotion and raise it. It has a really powerful message. But I think it really only represents one part of the problem. And Sheryl Sandberg went on the next year to publish her book, Lean In, where she has this message, women need to be more confident. And I I, I love how in the book she actually says this is just one part, one piece of the pie. The problem of gender inequity is too big to be solved by any one book. She doesn't say she's trying to solve all of it. But I think that organizations like Easy Answers and Lean In provided an easy answer and one that put the blame on women. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, okay, why is it harder for women to lean in? Uh, when women do raise their hands, are they treated equally to men who are raising their hands? And a lot of this, um, what I see is sort of a movement that came up in corporate around Cheryl Sandberg's work after it was published was all about putting the accountability on women to solve the problem rather than saying, no, actually there are some structural and systemic issues that organizations need to look at. I think that's a great perspective. And I think that can also be something that maybe some of the views haven't thought of. I think there's so many different um, movements that happen amongst, you know, women and amongst STEM. And so everyone kind of has their point of views and some aspects of those point of views and those movements can be great but there can also be areas for it to be questioned and still improvement upon it so I see this as like a way of you know taking this to the next level and so with regards to um, career advice something that often happens with women is that they might experience setbacks in their career Mm -hmm or they might experience rejection. And I know that can be extremely, um, you know, can uh, damage one's confidence. Do you have any advice on how to deal with like bouncing back from rejections and setbacks in your career? That's such a great question. I, I think of it in two ways. The first is to just honor the feelings of loss and of grief even that you feel around a setback. We have a culture of toxic positivity And while I'm all about positive messages and what I'll say next is more of the make the best of the opportunity, but what I'll say first is that actually it's okay to feel bad about it and to feel sad and upset and maybe angry and just to honor that because I think a lot of what happens is we don't feel, especially as women, we're sometimes socialized that we're not supposed to have bad emotions Mm 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, certain emotions are seen as bad. Uh, if a man is angry, it's like, oh, he's got a temper, but it's okay. If a woman is angry, she's looked upon very poorly. And so we develop these relationships with our more quote unquote negative emotions where we don't feel like it's okay to be angry or okay to feel sad because those are things women should just smile and move on. And so what I'll first say is that just honor that it's, it's absolutely okay to feel feelings when you face rejection. And if you actually don't face those feelings, they're still there underneath the surface and they're still going to bother you just not be as obvious. So that's number one. And then the number two is really keep building a network and people that you can rely on for different new things. I think every woman needs, every person needs their support group. And that can be friends, that can be mentors, colleagues. It can be some people that you're very close to and talk to every day. It can be someone that maybe you talk to every two years that you get advice from, but that especially when we're facing a setback, having the person that you can call when what you need is some cheerleading, right? What you need is someone to mirror back to you what they see as your greatest strengths and what gifts you can bring to the world. And you need to have that friend or that mentor in your corner. Sometimes you need someone who's more the objective third party, who's kind of the analytical person who can actually look at the setback, talk through it with you objectively, try to figure out, okay, is there something you could do better next time and be that objective brainstorming partner. Sometimes maybe what you need is someone who will help you really ask the questions that you want to ask yourself. Was this opportunity right for you? Why are you feeling this way about it? Where else can you go? Someone who's more of that kind of coach and guide. And that just having a good network of people who bring a lot of different things to how you think about yourself and you think about your growth means that when you do face a setback, you'll have all of these resources to go to. Yeah. And that's probably like one of my favorite questions to ask my guests, mm. because I feel like everyone has their own um, different spin on it that they add to it. And I feel like it, it is something really important because unfortunately in your career, you are probably going to experience setbacks at one yeah. point and mm -hmm. you are going to experience rejection. So um, I think sometimes this can really put women off from returning back to STEM. So hopefully uh, the advice that we've been talking about will really help them. I love that you pose that question to all of your guests too, <laughs> so that people can get a wide range of answers and ways to think about it and tools. Yes. And so I headed over to your Instagram, did a little bit of stalking because I love to uh, stalk my guests before I interview them. And I came across your comics and I was shocked and I was very intrigued. So can you please tell us a bit more about your comics and what made you start them and like, how did it come about? So I've loved to draw since I was a kid, but more doodling. I never thought of myself as an artist, never thought of someone who would be putting out my work publicly, not just on social media, but I actually lead workshops and keynote speeches and discussions for employers and conferences where I show my comics and use my comics. And I, I really, I probably had imposter syndrome when I started doing that because I never thought of myself as an artist. I didn't go to art school. I'm uh, not really professionally or technically trained, but I like to draw. I love to draw. And after I wrote my book and started talking more about these kinds of difficult issues, 
diversity, equity, inclusion, gender bias at work, things like that, I started to realize that people needed a way to engage in these difficult issues that would allow them to sort of put their guards down. Whenever we're talking about something really challenging, like diversity, equity, inclusion, like any kind of bias, I think people's defenses go up. One thing I often notice is that if you've ever been to a diversity, equity, and inclusion training at your workplace, often people come in kind of with armor on. They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing, or maybe they feel guilty or ashamed or afraid, or they've experienced some kind of trauma. They don't want to relive that. And it's so hard to have any real conversation and get to creative solutions when everybody just has these defenses up. And so I just started drawing comics based on scenes from my book to start, but then later expanded more broadly, all kinds of comics about gender at work, some about diversity, equity, and inclusion, or leadership culture more broadly at work, and just started using them when I was talking to different groups of people about these issues. And I found that it just helped people almost, um, you could almost see people's shoulders relax like, okay, this is a tough and heavy topic. We're going to take it seriously, but that doesn't mean we can't also laugh a little bit mm -hmm. and, uh, and have fun with it. And I started even guiding groups and drawing their own comics to reflect on bias that they've experienced or seen and to come up with creative solutions. And I just think that drawing and comics are a, a really fun tool for what are really important and difficult issues. I, I thoroughly enjoyed your comics and I will highly recommend for people to go over and check them out. So um, we are coming close to the end of this um, interview slash conversation, but I wanted to know if there are any resources that you would recommend for women in STEM that they can go to that can help inspire them, give them advice. Oh gosh, I am somebody who reads like a dozen books a month. <laughs> I just read really fast and read a lot. And whenever I'm asked for suggestions, I almost feel flooded by so many different things that people could read. Let's see. The the books I most frequently recommend, uh, one is called Own the Room, which is, um, I, I'm blanking on the author's names right now, but it talks about the importance of being both a voice for yourself and a voice for others. Mm -hmm. And the book isn't about gender, but I think it's an important one because women are so often socialized to be, kind of goes back to my points versus this concept. Uh, women are often socialized to be point voices for others, not for themselves. And so I think that's a great book. Um, there, there are a lot of books that really influenced how I think about work. One is called The Female Vision. And it talks about something that I also addressed in my book, Beyond Leaning In, how women often actually are, are socialized to really notice things in social dynamics. And those are really important, but often men don't value them. And so women are taught to silence those voices. So for example, you might be in a meeting and notice that there are two employees who just hate each other. And a woman is socialized to notice that and to say, okay, that's a problem because we won't get our business objectives done with this going on. And a man is often socialized to say, oh, that's a fuzzy HRE people thing. It doesn't matter. It's not about the business. It's not about the numbers. And women really squash that voice sometimes that they have inside their heads 
that actually can harm the organization in the end because we're taught not to pay attention to it. Um, I, 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 I never remember all of the wonderful resources I want to suggest to people when, <laughs> when I'm uh, needing to, but I will say I will have my information in the show notes and I can give my email address and all of that, that I respond to every email, every message on social media. So if there's anything particular where any of you out there looking for a book on a topic or a problem that you're dealing with, feel free to contact me and, and I'd love to talk through it. And speaking about contacting you, where can people find you? Yes. So my Instagram, where you can find my comics, is MelanieHo13. That's M-E-L-A-N-I-E-H-O-13. My website is just my name, www.melanieho.com. On my website, you can actually find all my social links. You can find also all of my comics there. Download a free excerpt of my book find out where you can get my book and also find out about my various speaking engagements and workshops. If you've got a conference coming up or you're on an event planning committee and want to bring in the the fun of comics and talk about some of these issues. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you today. Um, I don't know if there was anything else that you wanted to add um, before we wrap up this episode. No, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Kelly, for having me. And I hope to hear from y'all. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, we've learned a lot and it's been really insightful. Thank you to the amazing guest host speaker and thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to follow the podcast and to follow me on social media at Kelly underscore engineer on Twitter or Instagram. As well as please make sure to check out our new YouTube channel, called Women in STEM podcast to see our latest episodes visually. Until next time, bye!